and welcome to Puglis Associates Podcast. I'm Rocco Puglis, and I'm pleased to be joined today by Eric Arneson, Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Right to Know Office. Eric, for our listeners, can you share some insight around the inception of Pennsylvania's Right to Know Office as it exists today? Absolutely. Yeah. And first, thanks for uh, inviting me to be on your podcast, Rocco. I appreciate it uh, uh, very much. Um, the, the Right to Know Office, uh, the Office of Open Records, uh, it's, it's called both, it's the same place, uh, was created with the Right to Know Law um, back in the 2007-2008 legislative session, so a little more than 10 years ago now that bill was being debated over in the General Assembly. And uh, it was created, this office was created to be a place where uh, people could go when they get denied access to records by government agencies. Uh, it was designed to be free, uh, designed to be a place where you could file an appeal of those denials without needing an attorney, uh, designed to be a very simple process that is uh, as easy as possible for a layperson to understand without any legal background being necessary. Good, thank you. For our listeners, uh, May may know, but for those who do not, Eric probably worked on the legislation since Eric was the chief of staff to the Senate Majority Leader Dominic Pileggi from Delaware County. So it was a seamless transition for you since you worked on the legislation and now you're implementing the legislation. It was. That's exactly right. And even going back uh, further than that, my my first job out of college was as a newspaper reporter. So I have some some news media background. I have uh, now 20 plus years of state government background uh, and being able to work on that bill for Senator Pileggi and then come over here and run the office. uh, I never expected it. Uh, It wasn't something I anticipated, but it is a dream job. It's 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 a great place to work. That's awesome. So tell me, what does the right to know law and its enforcement mean to the citizens of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania? The, the goal of the right to know law is really to enable citizens to hold their government accountable. So if you want to know what your local township or what your local school district is spending money on, it makes sure, this is the law that makes sure that their budget and their expenditures are open to public scrutiny. Uh, And it goes beyond budget and and expenditures, of course, into uh, many other types of records, some of which I know we're going to to talk about here. But um, that's the real goal, is to give citizens a tool to to hold their government accountable, to be able to see what decisions are being made, uh, and sometimes to, to get a look at why those decisions are being made. Thank you. So when you look at these right-to-know requests, uh, where do the majority of the requests come from and what topics are most frequently covered? We see uh, a lot of uh, appeals filed where where agencies have uh, denied requests for attorney invoices. Um, And a lot of times what happens there is is the attorney-client privilege comes up, and so there needs to be some redaction that's done. The The amount of money always winds up being public. So we see a lot of questions about spending by government agencies on attorneys. Uh, we see lots of situations where it's a very localized uh, issue. You know, if there's, there's some hot controversy in a, in a local town, 
um, we will often see that bubble up through the right to know request and appeal process. For example, uh, if there's a situation where uh, a police officer on a police force uh, is suspended um, and not much is said about why, or a teacher is suspended and not much is said about why, we'll often see requests come in looking for documents for people that are confused and they just want to understand uh, what's going on, that sort of thing. Um, so it's really a wide variety. We, we see requests for uh, emails. We see requests for typewritten memos from decades ago, for current memos, for videos, for audio, social media posts, uh, recordings of school board meetings, uh, recordings from uh, transit buses. Um, so we we see a, a wide variety of requests uh, coming through um, the, the right to know process. So if I'm a public official and you request emails, my emails, right. is there a period of time where there's some type of a threshold that if it's more than five years or three years, is there anything stipulated in the act that uh, allows some type of a threshold? There's there's not a time-based threshold like that, but what the threshold is uh, is sort of twofold. First, the, the, the most fundamental question is, does this record, in this case an email, document a transaction or activity of the agency? So, you know, if my wife emails me and says, hey, you forgot to get milk this morning, don't forget it on the way home, that has nothing to do with agency business. That's not even a record. But once you cross that threshold and say, yes, it does document a transaction or activity of the agency, then the next question is, is it a public record? The right to know law has 30 exceptions in it that allow agencies to withhold records. If it deals with security issues, if it deals with somebody's personal health information, or uh, social security numbers, of course, can always be redacted from things. Um, there's, uh, as I said, 30 reasons in the right to know law that agencies can withhold records. There are other laws that make certain things confidential uh, by statute. So uh, once you cross that first threshold, is it a record? Then you analyze, is it a public record, and is it something that needs to be released? So you can't make a blanket statement about emails, for example. It's mm -hmm. not the format of the record that really matters at all. It's the content of that record that determines whether it's public or not. Great. Thank you. So when you look at uh, Right to Know, a uh, number of us in this town do procurement work, and we at Puglis, we started to do procurement work probably about 25 years ago. So as relates to Commonwealth, um, our vendors are interested in state business and are frequently curious as to the various deliberations and submitted responses on state-run requests for proposals. Can you talk about that for a little bit and the role the Right to Know office plays in procurement? Sure. We have had uh, a number of appeals related to procurement-related requests, but really the law is pretty clear on procurement issues. Um, you can, after a bid is awarded, you can, as a member of the public, uh, or you know, and that includes obviously uh, companies who may not have been successful but had submitted a, a, a bid, uh, you can submit a request for all of the bids that were submitted and by and large, uh, you will receive those as, as public records. 
the one really big exception to that is trade secrets mm -hmm. and confidential proprietary information. Uh, if a bid submission includes something that qualifies as a trade secret or as confidential proprietary information, and there is now a long and fairly easy to understand history of case law on, on those issues as to what is and is not a trade secret, uh, but if that's included, it can be withheld. And if you are a company uh, submitting something like that to a government agency, you should tell them right in concert with your submission we believe, you know, that, for example, uh, attachment A is a trade secret and should not be released if you get any right to no requests for this submission. Um, that puts the agency on notice, uh, and then if they do get a request, they then have to consult with you before releasing any of that information as a, as a company that has provided that notification. So those are the two main issues that we get dealing with uh, procurement-related records. Um, there's always um, uh, an interest, I think, also in the uh, behind-the-scenes machinations at the agency level. Why did we choose to go with you know, the Smith Company instead of the Jones Company? A lot of that is protected under the right to know laws, uh, exception for internal pre-decisional deliberations. So a lot of that internal decision-making still is not available under the right to know law, but at least you can get all of the bids and sort of try and uh, make your own best guess as to why the decision was made. When you look at, for example, what you just pointed out, that there are certain things that um, are that vendors can request, and the entity, whether it's a local municipality or an authority, can refuse, and that's the frustrating thing for vendors. Mm -hmm. So, let's see if I could give you an example. So, uh, Company A submits a proposal, a bid. Mm -hmm and loses the bid to some authority, mm -hmm. a Pennsylvania authority. The uh, vendor that lost then requests a right-to-know transparency request of not only the various bids, mm -hmm. but how that decision was made. Right. Many times that authority or local municipality refuses to disclose that information. Right. Explain now what that vendor who lost, what options that vendor has. Sure. Um, I'll take it back one step first and say that even though the right to know law allows agencies to withhold that information in a lot of circumstances, it does not require them to do so. So agencies um, are allowed to release it. it the, the right to know law itself is not a confidentiality law. Like It never, ever prohibits an agency from releasing stuff. Sometimes other laws do, you know, particularly with law enforcement records and health records and certain education mm -hmm. records. There's other laws that make things confidential, but the right to know law doesn't. So with procurement particularly, that's one thing to keep in mind, that uh, if, if a requester can make a good public policy argument as to why those things should be public, there's always a chance uh, that an agency will listen to that. Um, the uh, the you asked though about what options a requester has yes. once they're denied, and really the only option is to file an appeal with us. Uh, that's a very simple process. We have a form on our website. As I said before, you don't need a lawyer, and it's free. Uh, it generally takes ten to fifteen minutes to fill out that form and file the appeal. 
Uh, once that happens, it gets assigned to one of our attorneys uh, who reviews the case and uh, decides whether or not these are public records. Uh, the agency bears the burden of proof. Uh, so the requester really doesn't have to do anything more uh, than file the appeal. They're welcome to. They can submit evidence. They can submit argument, but they don't have to. Uh, the agency, on the other hand, really has to provide us with some information. So um, if you're denied access to records in Pennsylvania and you file an appeal, it's not unusual, not at all unusual. In fact, it's, it's somewhat common for the agency during the course of that appeal to go ahead and release some additional records, uh, or at least usually they have to provide us with affidavits, which of course are sworn to under penalty of perjury. Uh, there may be some information in those affidavits that you didn't have before um, that, that could potentially be useful. So the short answer is the option that they have at that, at that point is to file an appeal with the Office of Open Records. So you file an appeal. What's the turnaround time for your office to respond and then the entity, uh, whether it's an authority or a local municipality, to respond? Right. So um, at the very beginning of the process, when you submit a request, the agency has five business days to respond. Often they will invoke an extension of up to 30 calendar days. So I'm going to round that off and say they have a month to respond. It's a little more than that usually, but, uh, but they have a month to respond. Then you have um, a period of 15 business days to file an appeal with us if your request was denied. Then we only have one month. We have 30 calendar days to make our decision. Um, sometimes we ask requesters to grant us an extension to that. Um, and if they do, we might take a little longer, but that's only with the permission of the requester, so uh, the person seeking the records. And so we have a month to turn it around, and our orders uh, almost always, I, I, I think I can even say 100% of the time, then if we order disclosure, we give the agency 30 days to produce those records uh, or either side can appeal our decision to court if they decide that's the way to and go. And that's the Commonwealth Court? If it's a state agency, it would be the Commonwealth Court. If right. it's a local agency, it would be the county court, wherever that agency is headquartered. Okay, thank you. The uh, Still speaking about uh, procurement, so the score sheets, how a local municipality or state agency scores various RFPs, um, which outline the agency's final basis for deciding an award on best value proposals, is something that I would say all vendors are pretty much interested in. One being an improvement in subsequent responses, and another would be to contest the validity and decision the Commonwealth makes. Sometimes agencies... Uh, easily comply with these requests, while other times agencies choose not to provide this information, citing provisions in the law protecting the release of such information. Can you comment or elaborate? Absolutely. Um, the, the way the law is written right now, those score sheets can be withheld. I think a lot of agencies make a very good uh, decision in favor of transparency in releasing those score sheets. And um, I would support an amendment to the law to make it clear that the score sheets uh, can be released and, and in, fa in fact, need to be released. Um, the 
I, I would draw a distinction between the internal pre-decisional deliberations that we were talking about. You know, mm-hmm. if you and I are working at an agency evaluating proposals, right. and I'm we're emailing back and forth, what do you think of this? What did they mean by that? What do, you know, how many points is this worth? That kind of, you know, that's a lot of. Uh, internal stuff that I think you can make a, a good policy argument should be protected because it allows you and I to, to freely share our opinions with each other without fear of the public, you know, really shining a harsh spotlight on that at, at some later date. The score sheets, those in the end, it's really mostly numbers or letter grades or however it's done, but it's there's there's not a lot of personal opinion in those. Sometimes mm-hmm. the scoring is subjective, of course, but um, in the end, it's really just numerical data. And so I think you can make a pretty good argument that uh, because knowing that information could easily, you can easily envision how that would lead to better proposals being submitted in the future, that's to the benefit of the agency, and anything to the benefit of the agency, of course, is really to the benefit of the taxpayers. I think you can make a very good argument that that those score sheets should be available. But you need an amendment to the act. Right now, right, right. Agencies can release them. Some agencies do, and I applaud them for that. I think it's a good decision. But uh, to to have it be mandated, it would require an amendment to the law. That's right. So medical marijuana. Yes. The That whole scoring was very controversial. Refresh my memory. Did the Department of Health release the score sheets? I don't believe that that was governed by the general procurement law. I think that that was governed specifically by the medical marijuana law. And there was an interesting provision, as I recall, in um, in the department's regulations, which said that the scoring could not be released to an applicant. A newspaper reporter who was not an applicant requested that information. Um, we ordered it to be disclosed, and it was then appealed to Commonwealth Court. And as we sit here right now, I, I can't recall off the top of my head what the status of that is. I believe that it is accurate to say, though, that the Department of Health took a new look at their regulations and may have revised those uh, while that court case was proceeding. Um, so uh, I, I apologize. I don't know off the top of my head exactly where that stands in front of the Commonwealth Court, but uh, I do know that the Office of Open Records ordered those particular score sheets to be released because it was it was governed under it wasn't governed under the general procurement laws of the Commonwealth. It was covered specifically under the Medical Marijuana Act, which had its own different provisions as to what's public and what's not. Okay, thank you. One other issue that I like to chat about is the body camera data. Uh, When requesting the impact of body camera information and data, the right to know law was challenged by the state police. The Pennsylvania State Police argument revolved much around the volume of the data they would need to retain and manage as well as the sensitivity and liability around the information they could be asked to share. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court backed up and supported your office laws. So do you have any additional insight, perspective, and thoughts on this subject? Yeah, the, the, the body camera issue is, is an interesting one. We had a situation in Pennsylvania where very few 
law enforcement agencies were using body cameras, mainly because our Wiretap Act, which governs when you can and when you cannot record conversations between people, um, was structured in such a way that that for a police department to have a for a police officer to have a body camera on. They could probably do the recording without any problem in a public setting, but if they then had to pursue a suspect into a private residence or or some other privately owned building, um, that they would have to stop, turn off their body camera, because at that point it would become illegal to record without either a warrant or the permission of, of the people who owned the building and who they were talking to and all that sort of thing. So what the legislature did uh, is is known as Act 22. I think it was of 2017. Uh, uh, I might have the year wrong. But Act 22 now governs body camera recordings in Pennsylvania. So uh, they took it sort of out of the entire right-to-know law universe. A lot of how you can request body camera footage is similar to a right-to-know request, um, but there are a few differences. We have a a page on our website which really breaks it down step-by-step. If you want a a body camera video, uh, here's how you do it. And the volume of the data was one of the big issues that, that the General Assembly wrestled with in that process as well, because uh, video, you know, quickly becomes terabytes of, of data. And so with most records under the right to know law, there's no time limit at all. If, if a memo from 1919 still exists from 100 years ago, you can request it and conceivably get it. Uh, with video now, uh, the, there is a timeline of a very specific number of days from the time the recording was initially made. You have to submit your request within that period of time. And again, we have it all laid out uh, on a page on our website. So uh, it's similar to the right to know process, uh, but uh, it's it's got enough differences that anybody interested in in that should really take a look at that page on our website to, to study up. Thank you. You may have mentioned this uh, in uh, previous answers to the questions that were posed to you, but it's been a while that the Right to Know office has been in operation, and you recently did a survey. So what were the findings of the survey? Because some of the agencies felt, especially very large agencies, the Department of Human Services is one, that it would be very cumbersome to... uh, implement the right-to-know provisions. What did that survey uh, result in, in terms from your perspective? Right. We, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. The Office of Open Records did a survey. The Legislative Budget and Finance Committee did an entire study that was very specifically targeted to determining uh, what the financial impact of the right-to-know law has been. Uh, and we are now actually in the midst, as you and I talk, of, of doing a follow-up survey. We're going to make it an annual survey now so that we have data year over year. People can compare and see how things are changing. But the bottom line of what we found is that for the vast majority of agencies, and I'm talking over 90% of agencies, they're not spending very much time on right-to-know requests, five hours or less per week. Um, And so it's not having much of a burden 
on most agencies. Now, you talked about big agencies, and that's where you start to see a little bit of a different uh, situation. I I would still suggest respectfully that that it's not a burden. It's just another law that they have to uh, follow, just like every other law that they have to follow. You know, every agency has any number of laws that impact its operations, and they have to follow them all. Um, This one is interesting because it affected every single agency in the state, which is a little bit different than than most laws. But um, sometimes state departments, uh, sometimes large uh, local municipalities like the city of Pittsburgh or the city of Philadelphia, you know, they're obviously going to see more requests than the borough of Cornwall or Lower Allen Township or something like that. But... um, uh, but even for them, uh, I don't think that we're seeing what some people feared we would see when the law went into effect 10 years ago. Uh, I think at the state agency level in particular, uh, first under Governor Rendell, then under Governor Corbett, and now under Governor Tom Wolf, the agencies have done a very good job of uh, setting up a process where each agency has one point person uh, who is the primary right-to-know law contact at that agency who understands the law, knows uh, what the the precedents have been in terms of OOR decisions, Office of Open Records decisions, and court decisions. Uh, So they know, um, by and large, uh, what needs to be done and and what's going to happen if they deny this request or or, um, if they grant this other request. You know, they they understand things. So um, I I don't believe that uh, the law is really fairly described as a burden at all. Now, that said, I will say there are some situations where particularly smaller local agencies out of nowhere, seemingly, start getting inundated with requests. And we haven't seen very many of those. We've seen a handful of them over the 10 years that the law has been uh, in effect. But we have seen them. They are real. And so if you have a, a, a small township, for example, that maybe has one full-time person, that's their entire staff, uh, and that person is generally spending one or two hours a week on right-to-know requests, and all of a sudden gets a dozen or two dozen requests from one, two, or three people, uh, that's going to have a significant impact on them in the short term. And uh, and we understand that, and we're always available to talk to agencies in circumstances like that, to give them some practice tips. You know, here's what other agencies in similar circumstances have done, that kind of thing. But uh, uh, that happens. But by and large, um, the right to know law is working efficiently. It's working well. And people are getting uh, new, um, getting access to records that they were never able to get access to before this law went into effect. Okay, thank you. So it's been 10 years yep. for the existence of the office. So... Have any legislators uh, reached out to you to look into amending the act? If you were in the legislature and not as the um, executive director of the Right to Know office, what would you recommend in terms of amendatory language or issues, concepts that maybe need to be amended? to make it much more transparent and much more efficient. 
I've worked with uh, any number of, of members of the General Assembly through the years on potential amendments to the law, and many of them are now in very good shape and, and ready to be enacted. Um, I think if you look at uh, Senator John Blake's legislation that he introduced last session. I'm not sure if it's been, I know he circulated a memo this session. Yes. I'm not sure if it's been introduced yet or not. But last session it was Senate Bill 465 and Senate Bill 456. Uh, or pardon me, 465 and 466. Um, two bills which really did a pretty good job of summarizing sort of all of the significant issues that are out there in the right-to-know world. Uh, some of those include uh, allowing agencies to charge more for commercial requests. Uh, one of the surprises that we do see, uh, and we talked about whether the law is a burden or not, we, we, we have seen a remarkable number of requests submitted by um, commercial requesters, people who want to take the the information that they're getting and turn around and make a profit off it somehow. It can be something as simple as a local dog grooming agency submits a request to the county treasurer for all of the dog license applications. Uh, it can be something more widespread where uh, an out-of-state company that specializes in data collection and analysis and then repackages that and resells it looks for um, tax parcel-based information. So it can be a wide variety of things. But uh, the bill would allow agencies to basically charge staff time for that. Whatever the actual amount of staff time is and the actual amount paid is that it would allow that to be charged to, uh, to commercial requesters. Um, we've had uh, more inmate requests uh, than anticipated. Um, now, a lot of those go to the Department of Corrections. Uh, there are some that go to other agencies, but it, it tends to be really a Department of Corrections um, that, that feels the brunt of those. And so the, the proposal would allow inmates to continue to make requests that are related to them and their circumstances and their records, things like that, but would uh, allow agencies to more easily decline what sometimes turn into uh, very silly requests. We've we've had um, a situation or two where it's clear that uh, there's an inmate who is bored and sees the right to know law as a way to amuse themselves by by submitting requests. So uh, tightening that up a little bit, I think, makes some some good sense. Uh, there are some procedural things in there. There are some situations right now. Uh, for example, elevator inspection reports can be withheld. Again, sometimes agencies release those even though they can be withheld, and I think they should be available to the public. Safety inspection reports. So uh, part of the the amendment that's proposed would make it clear that safety inspection reports are uh, available to the public. So it's got a number of, of issues in there. There are a number of other members, too. I mentioned Senator Blake because I've worked with his office uh, the most since Senator Pelleggi. Uh, left the General Assembly to become a judge in Delaware County. Um, but there are a number of other members, both parties, both chambers, uh, who I've had uh, the pleasure of working with on, on amendments through the past few years. And I think this session we're in very good shape to get some of that work done. Well, that's great. Hopefully the scoring lists will be part of the a mandatory process. We need to uh, we need to draw up some language on that and take a look at it. And it's you know it's something I've thought about, but it's it's one of those situations that doesn't really 
impact the public at large. So uh, I'm not sure that anybody specifically is is working on that at this point. But but as I said, I think it makes good sense. I'd be happy to work with somebody on that. Okay, thank you. Eric, thank you for your time today and sharing your thoughts and perspective around the Right to Know Office's process, procedures, and overall mission in a law it upholds uh, with me as well as our listeners. I will remind our listeners that if they have any additional questions on our state's Right to Know Office, they may visit www.openrecords.pa.gov or contact openrecords at pa.gov. That concludes the Puglis Associates podcast for today. We hope our listeners enjoy our periodic podcast as we share a unique perspective with Pennsylvania leaders and public servants committed to Pennsylvania. Thanks again, Eric. It's been great talking with you today. It's been my pleasure, Rock. Thanks for uh, coming up to the 16th floor. Thank you.